Welcome to HIV Frontlines, U.S. Edition, a podcast series from TheBody.com, focusing on frontline workers in the HIV epidemic in the United States. In this series, we'll talk with the dedicated people who work tirelessly to fight HIV, from HIV prevention workers and treatment advocates to outspoken journalists and policymakers. For more information on this podcast, including a full transcript, please visit us on the web. Welcome. My name is Kelly Terrell, and I'm the news editor for TheBody.com. Today's frontline interview is with Gary Paul Wright, the founder and executive director of the African American Office of Gay Concerns in Newark, New Jersey. Hello, Gary. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Of course. So can you tell me how the African American Office of Gay Concerns came about, and how long has it been in existence? Well, let's see. We just celebrated this uh, past spring eight years. We've been here eight years. Wonderful. Uh, we actually started because a couple of friends of mine uh, had attended a um, uh, MSM of Color conference in uh, Philadelphia. We're talking like 98, 99. And um, we, what we learned was that there was no organization or nobody in the state of New Jersey that was actually addressing the HIV-AIDS epidemic for African-American men, black men, uh, especially, you know, gay black men. You said even in 1998, 1999? Yeah, even at that time. Um, I mean, there was no specific, I mean, there was, you know, stuff being happening. There was stuff happening, you know, and of course I'd been with GMHC many, many years and uh, things like that. So there were things going on, but there was no, no one really dedicated that I knew of, that we knew of, you know, specifically addressing the situation. Um, so we said, well, we can change that. We can start our own, you know, organization. And uh, I should have, I should have stopped right then and there because, you know, they say, <laughs> they say, be careful what you ask for because you might get it. Um, mm-hmm. But we did. We proceeded, and uh, uh, you know, we. Uh, put together a little board. Um, uh, we met in my kitchen, and uh, Peter and I and, and, and eight of our friends, and we said, you know, let's do this. And we uh, got some funding lo- lo- locally um, through the Department of Health and Senior Services down in Trenton. Um, and they gave us some technical assistance, and uh, they said, if you're serious about doing this, you know, we'll, you know, we'll get throw in some seed money for you. And uh, and about a year and a half later, we got our 501c3, we found an office, and uh, voila, we opened up on, on Broad and, and uh, William Street here in Newark. Mm-hmm. And so what had you done before, like what had you been doing um, in the HIV community prior to f- uh, founding the, the office? Well, let's see. I, um, um, well, let's see. I started way, way, way back in the <laughs> mid to eight, late 80s. I was a volunteer at Gay Men's Health Crisis. I just moved uh, from Los Angeles, and that was about uh, 84, 85, when the epidemic was really, really, you know, starting to, to make its mark. And, of course, back in those days, it was called GRID, uh, which was gay-related immune deficiency disease or whatever. And um, I, when I got to New York, you know, GMHC was like the uh, first and foremost in, you know, in helping people with HIV and AIDS. It wasn't even called HIV then. Um, and I volunteered for them. I did work with the uh, education department. I did workshops, safer sex workshops and things like that. Um, I was a little upset because there was not a lot of black participation in some of their programs, so I wrote a letter to uh, Richard Dunn way back then, and he sent it to the education department, and they, what they, well, they hired me, so that shut me up, didn't it? Uh, <laughs> so uh, I started doing work with them, and, uh, and I founded the House of Latex way back when. 
Oh, wow. Yeah, how about that? I'm the great-great-great-grandfather of the House of Latex. Um, people, a lot of people don't know that. Um, when we started out, we were just uh, there with condoms and pins and buttons and brochures, and you know, we had our little uh, like the old cigarette girls of the '30s. You know, we had these trays that we made out of tops of Xerox boxes, and uh, we handed out condoms. And we just wanted to, to fit into the ballroom scene because um, mm-hmm. it was it was like thriving around that time in the, in the very very early '90s, and mm-hmm. um, you know, everybody. Since then, you know, the House of Latex really grew and grew and grew, and then they started walking the balls and, you know, taking it to newer heights, and now the, they're celebrating 20 years. In fact, next week they're celebrating 20 years. Oh, House my of goodness. Latex, yeah, so they're going to dust me off and, you know, wheel me out again. So. <laughs> <laughs> so can you briefly describe some of the programs that um – the African-American Office of Gay Concerns has? Well, our main focus is still HIV prevention. Uh, we do the, uh, the EBI, the you know, Effective Behavioral Intervention, uh, Many Men, Many Voices. And before that, we were doing Partners in Prevention. Um, and we're still investigating, you know, some new stuff for, you know, men of color, black gay men of color um, that are supposedly coming down the block. You know, we don't want something that's like just, you know, blackface. We don't want something this. You know, they say, well, this is designed for African American men. We really want something that's gonna gonna work. Um, and many men, many voices is good, and it and it, it's filling a void right now. But I think we can still do better. So we do that, and then we have our transgender outreach, which we call. Before you keep talking about that, can you go back and kind of explain what your many men, many voices is? All right. Well, many men, many voices is a. Uh, uh, it's a it's a multi-session intervention where we talk about uh, the dual identity of being a black man and being a gay man. Uh, we talk about community. We talk about you know religion. You know uh, how that affects us and what we do and how we choose our sexual partners. So it's basically made up of like maybe six to seven components um, that can be done on a weekly basis. The guys come back and and and, and report every week, or you can do it like we do is a weekend retreat. Now, the state of New Jersey also does a, 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 a go-away retreat, whereas they go off into the, I shouldn't say off into the woods, but to a, to a, to a place, <laughs> and uh, they're actually cooped up in this place for like, you know, two and a half days, and it's really, really quite effective. Um, I think it, it helps build community as, as well, but uh, I mean, it's, it's good, but I think, you know, there's, I think, I think guys are at the point now there. They don't want to be told so much what they can't do. Um, I think we have to give guys permission to do some things, but just do them safely. And we have to be able to talk about those things. Um, you know, in the old days, we have, used to have posters that were very, very explicit. You know, we, 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 we've gone generic, kind of, sort of. So I'd like to see more of that. But anyway, that's my, that's my bag. No, we're going to talk about that a little okay, later on, okay. too, toward the end, about... Um, uh, sex ed and, and culturally competent um, <laughs> prevention methods towards MSM, especially of color. Okay. So we're going to get to that. Okay. And so um, you were talking about the transgender community, which I was going to ask you about is how in touch is your organization with that community and the ballroom scene? Actually, it's so unusual because, I mean, you know, when I was growing up as a little gay man, um, I, you, know, I, you know, I had gone to the clubs in, in Dallas where I grew up, and, and I knew that there were drag queens uh, who performed, um, and that was about it. That all, that's about all I knew about, quote, transgenders. 
so what happened was when we opened up the office, the kids were like drawn, some of the kids were drawn to one of the posters, which is uh, actually came out of San Francisco, of a little Asian woman who's... Um, Who's, who's, who has price tags on her body parts, and it's obviously mm-hmm. a transgender, and it's, you know, like her, her breasts cost so much, her lips cost so much. And, mm-hmm. and it was like, wow, these kids are, like, really interested in it. And then one or two would come up in, you know, in these little wigs and things like that, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. Now, I'd also, you know, been familiar with the uh, the house community, but I wasn't, I, I, I was sort of once removed, because I, I figured mm-hmm. that was a society all its own, you know, and I'd done it with GMHC, you know, let me move on. Mm-hmm. Well, I had to change my tapes, I had to change the way I was thinking about it, because it's like a totally, totally different world. And I'm mm-hmm. looking at these, these kids who were walking down the streets of Newark in these wigs and, you know, fake breasts and, and, and trying to pass as women. And I'm like, you know, these are some brave kids, and why aren't we doing mm-hmm. anything for them? Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I had another dream, and it said, you know, TGIF, thank goodness I'm fabulous. And so we started that whole peer support group thing. Um, mm-hmm. and, and we're still trying to, trying to address that community the way it needs to be addressed. Mm-hmm. Um, there's an uh, EBI, a uh, intervention called SISTA. And it stands mm-hmm. for, you know what SISTA stands for, uh, Sisters, something, something, Sisters about sexual issues. That's okay. I don't know the question. I don't either. But <laughs> what, what we wanted to do is to uh, do it for our transgender community. Um, but, uh, you know, the state of New Jersey was like, well, you know, even though you have some transgenders, you know, they're sort of still considered MSM and um I guess because of what we were doing, and, you know, we had people down there up in, in Trenton who understand what we're going through, and they said, well, maybe you could do something, you know, maybe you could adapt a SISTA for, you know, the transgender community. So mm-hmm. two of my staff, Anastasia and Carla, went down and actually took the SISTA training just to make sure that, you know, this was something we thought we could do. Mm-hmm. And uh, they came back and said, yeah, they were, like, really, really excited. Um, Anastasia's transgender, and, and uh, mm-hmm. she was like, you know, she started this support group here, and uh, she's like, really, 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 let's do this. So we uh, mm-hmm. uh, talked to our people in Trenton, and they said, well, let's see if we can get some technical assistance for you. And they did what they needed to do with the CDC, and uh, they came back. And so now we're in the process of uh, working with uh, University of California, San Francisco, and the transitions program over there uh, to get technical assistance to bring SISTA to our transgender sisters. And so let's talk about some of the people who access your services. Is there an uh, average age? Are they mostly younger, you know, older? Is there a mix? It is uh, a mix. We really don't have any parameters, and it kind of comes in batches. Seems like in the springtime, there's a lot of more young people. I guess maybe you know they're getting out of school, they're getting a little frisky, and they want to get out there. They need condoms, things like that. So we get a, a younger crowd, you know, in the warmer months, and in the, in the, uh, the winter months, you know, for some reason, the older guys start showing up. And when I say older and younger, I'm thinking if like age 30 is my is the age under 30 um you know they're still young adults adolescents young adults to me and then the mm-hmm. over 30 population to me is is what i call the mature group um although that can be <laughs> construed <laughs> questionable <laughs> <laughs> depending on who right. you're talking about but i mean but if i were to but on an average i'd say you know between the ages of 20 and 30 and i'm saying mm-hmm. we got uh 
guys who are men who have sex men, and we have uh, transgenders, uh, f- uh, male to female transgenders. So that's basically mm-hmm. who we are. Um, we have a couple mm-hmm. of Latino clients, um, so much mm-hmm. in the fact that uh, we're trying to improve our cultural competency. I'm learning Spanish, as, as, a, as a matter of fact. We went out and that's wonderful. spent money on that Rosetta Stone thing. So I'm, Ooh, you know, I'm, let me know if that say, works. I'm learning how to say hola and, you know, <laughs> los niños and all these kind of stuff, but it's going to be slow. Mm-hmm. But I'm, we're determined you know, to add that piece to us, because that's, you mm-hmm. know, the Latino community. I mean, they're, they're our sisters and brothers as well, and mm-hmm. uh, there's a language barrier that's that's keeping us from doing a better job, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, so that's what we're, how we're addressing that. But mostly it's African-American and uh, and young people. Now, do you feel like the aging community, and when I mean aging, I mean, I guess it's looked at as like 55 or over. Even though they're testing positive, they don't come, they don't access services at your organization? You know what? That is true, and I'm not real sure why. Um, I mean, we do as many health fairs as we can out here, and we put the word out there. But I think there's a there's not enough, hmm, I'm going to say there's not enough out gay activity um, for uh, people that age to feel real, real comfortable. Remember, they grew up in a different time and space. These kids nowadays, you know, it's okay to be open. I mean, they talk about it in their yearbooks, you know, and there's you know, uh, things like that. I mean, they, 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 they go to each other's proms and things like that. So there's a lot of that interaction going on in that age group. Um, with the older age group, you know, people tend to stay in their neighborhoods, you know, um, or they get set in a pattern. If they're going to go out, they're going to go out to New York City instead of staying in Newark, mm-hmm. you know, because there are no real bars, gay bars here in Newark. I had the pleasure of attending the Status is Everything launch in Newark a few months back. Can you tell our audience what this HIV prevention campaign is, how it came about, and why social marketing and online tools are key, are key components in this campaign? Okay, that's a loaded question. I'm going to try to answer it as succinctly as possible. That's okay. okay. So the first part is, <laughs> um, well, what, first part is tell me why, okay. why it came about. Um, well, um, first of all, Status is Everything is the name of the campaign, um, and then it's actually something that we've, uh, that was one of my dreams, it came to me in one of my dreams, uh, so every piece of material that we've put out at the AG, AAOGC since our inception has had statuses everything on there. And we, you know, just, we explain it to mean um, whether or not you are HIV positive or not, or whether you know your status if you're HIV positive or not, uh, and just status is everything. Um, the uh, Department of Health in Trenton um, at, at some point had some, well, Extra money, not extra money, but there there were some funds left over, or there were some funds from the CDC that they could access, uh, and uh, they approached our organization because you know who we are and our location and you know our standing within the community, which took a, f- a few years to get, um, and said, "Could you guys come up with something because you know gay black gay black men are." You know, the numbers are still rising, and we need to address that, and we're not sure, you know, how to go about doing that. And uh, since you guys are here and we want to concentrate in Newark, you know, you want to try it? And I'm like, yeah. So, so we, um, we got together with uh, Rutgers, and we did a series of focus groups um, last summer, and, uh, and we wanted to find out exactly what a campaign for, you know, for gay black men would look like. And basically they told us, you know, you're not going to go out, you know, to bars handing out 
handing out condoms because it ain't going to happen here. You need the internet. You need Twix uh, tweetering. You need uh, <laughs> you know all these things that I've I've been on the fringe. You know, so <laughs> they said no. You got to get with it. So I, man, my staff made me do a Facebook. So you know, open up a Facebook and a MySpace, and and I'm looking at these things. I'm going. You know, I guess people really, really are on here. And there's some, you know, some chat lines and hookup sites, too, that, uh, you know, they make me blush, okay? But I'm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a certain age, and I've been with Peter. It'll be 20 years this, this month. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, there's some things that kind of opened my eyes as far as what young people are out there doing and saying. Um, but, you know, to make a long story short, we worked with a group called FemWorks here in, in Newark, um, and they are a, uh, a lesbian organization, lesbian-owned and operated organization. And uh, we came up with this whole thing with bus ads, and, and, and um, we got a billboard. But the message we were trying to get is to find out, you know, testing sites. So the campaign was really about finding a testing site or going to get tested, you know, test with a friend, test with the family, um, test, 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 you know, find out your status so you can do the right thing. Um, so, you know, we were lucky enough to have been picked to do this. We were also lucky enough to have good people working with us in good organizations like NJCRI and Project WOW um, and, you know, people like James Creedle, you know, they helped us put together focus groups to find out, you know, where we should spend our money or, you know, where we should not spend our money. And we're still learning our lessons. But uh, social marketing, tweeting, um, you know, blog, reading blogs, this is what people do nowadays. nowadays. So if you're going to be in HIV prevention, this is where you need to be. So um, we're just, you know, just trying to keep it fresh and alive. And, you know, it always costs money. But, uh, you know, we've been lucky enough that we've been able to find the funding so far. So. Mm-hmm. And so what has the reaction been to the Status is Everything campaign? Well, I think... Um, uh, you know, the Department of Health is, is, you know, they're looking at statistics and they're analyzing mm-hmm. and things like that. But there has been, I can tell you, there has been, and I don't know percentages, an increase of uh, young men getting tested. Um, mm-hmm. And we don't know uh, if they're identifying or coming out because of the campaign or if it would normally mm-hmm. happen. Um, but I'm going to take credit for it because if they're, Go you, right ahead. you know, if they're coming out as gay men, um, you know, I say that's great. I think that's just wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, I think oh, it's still. I think it's getting tested is still a scary thing for a lot of people. Um, mm-hmm. But I, 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 it's 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 like it's like once you enter that society, once you once they gain your trust. You know, you just got to keep on and keep on and keep on, and you know, and people are going to do the right things, or community norms are going to change. So, and that's what mm-hmm. we're hoping to do—that uh, mm-hmm. becoming getting tested is going to be like a yearly thing for people, you know, and to try to stay negative. And if they do find out that they're positive, you know, get treatment. You know, mm-hmm. uh, so often, and I know I'm I'm preaching to the pulpit. I mean, you know, preaching to the choir. So often, mm-hmm. our community, we find out too late, you know, about an mm-hmm. HIV infection. Um, that way we get quick, we get sicker quicker, we die quicker, you know, or we wait we, until we're, you know, just too old to, like, turn that tide. Um, mm-hmm. So that's, I, I think it has happened, and I think we've got to keep on. I think we've got to keep talking to the community and finding out what they want or what they're expecting. 
Um, we mm. haven't had any feedback on, you know, we haven't had any negative feedback, I'll tell you that much. Mm-hmm. Um, when you have gay kids or gay-identified kids on buses here in Newark, you know, you might think, oh, my God, they're going to draw mustaches on them or they're going to, mm-hmm. you know, write fag across it or something. Like that. We have had mm-hmm. none of that knock on wood. Um, mm-hmm. You know, even the city has just been really, really helpful and behind us and things like that. Mm-hmm. So. Um, Yeah, Cory Booker, the mayor, was there. And I think that he has been a very vocal kind of ally, you know, not just around HIV, but definitely around LGBT issues. And I think that that really um, sets sends a message yeah. to the people of Newark. And, you know, and, um, I, and I think that's what it takes. I think if, if your city officials don't buy into a program, um, or at least out there recognizing that there is a, a, a and I don't want to say there is a problem, but there is an epidemic, um, mm-hmm. you, know, they've, you know, once they come out and say, you know, we're going to address it or we're going to do something or we're going to help this agency fight that battle, you know, it's, you know, half the battle is, all, is, is almost won, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. we're very, mm-hmm. very, very lucky. We've had a progressive mayor, so. Mm-hmm. And now, and we, you know, I've... we've got the LGBT commission, which I was, I'm a commissioner as well, so. Mm-hmm. Um, can you tell us about that? Well, certainly I can. <laughs> <laughs> um, a, uh, actually, um, Ron Rice, uh, Councilman Ron Rice Jr., Ronald Rice, um, uh, he, when he was elected to the city council, he met with some of us, and he said, you know, we are going to have a commission. He said, uh, I'm going to do everything I can. Now, this is, this is also after Cory Booker has already has recognized our community as a unique community. Mm-hmm. community. I don't want to say that he hadn't done anything um, mm-hmm. in his uh, office with Barry Madison, those people. They've done a lot, especially for gay young people. They're trying to bring in, you know, the Hedrick Martin Institute and an after-school program. Um, anyhow, um, but uh, Councilman Rice said, you know, we're going to take this one step further. And uh, lo and behold, he uh, addressed the city council and put forth, you know, this commission. And uh, last year, we uh, actually got a little charter from the city. Now, we haven't gotten any money from the city, <laughs> which other cities have. But a lot of cities don't have commissions, LGBT commissions. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, we're not a governing body, but we are in, adv- in an advisory capacity. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, you know, with the help of our community, we're going to make some noise around here. We're already making mm-hmm. some noise. So mm-hmm. um, it's, a, it's a positive thing that's happening in Newark. Mm-hmm. I wanted to go back to the Status is Everything campaign. Um, I thought one of the most powerful uh, components was the affirmingness mm-hmm. of it all. You know, you had... YouTube, you know, clips, uh, PSAs. I mean, it was very, very affirmative. And I think that that has been a lack um, in some of the prevention campaigns that we've seen. I don't know if you remember the one in Philadelphia, maybe like four or five years ago, but it was where the the black man was at the crosshairs oh. of a gun oh. and they were... <laughs> <laughs> they were saying how you know it was AIDS was like a bullet. I just I do remember that. I do. you know in an area where gun violence had been like that summer uh-huh. it had been so many shootings in you know in Philly, mm-hmm. and I think <laughs> and I just think it you know it shows a lack of um, cultural competency, but it also just shows a lack of sensitivity. And so that's what I really thought was really interesting about your campaign is just how affirming. Uh-huh. Um, it was. Well, again, I mean, we, we, that's, that's what our community told us they wanted. 
Um, mm-hmm. And when, when I say our community, we did focus groups with young people. We did focus groups with young people who were in the houses, who were not, not in the houses. Uh, we did, uh, had a group of, uh, shall I say, elder gentlemen, um, my age, 55 and older, uh, mm-hmm. tour guys, and, and a lot in between. And, mm-hmm. and I think each one of those, um, you know, had maybe you know, just a twinkling of the transgender community in each of those groups as well. Um, mm-hmm. And we just tried to, you know, we just tried to give them what they said they wanted. They wanted to see people who look like them, and by mm-hmm. them, that's like thugs or, you know, banshee boys, uh, mm-hmm. preppy, uh, mm-hmm. businessmen, and, you know, mm-hmm. and trans. Um, this is who they said they wanted to see. So we took that mm-hmm. and um, Femworks came up with this whole concept about, uh, you know, knowledge is key and things like that. And it is an affirming thing. We've, we've tried not to be negative. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, very, very good, very observant on your part. Well, I just, yeah, thank you. I just think that it's something that is lacking. And, I, and that's the hard thing about HIV prevention uh-huh. is that, you know, you don't want for people to contract HIV. Right. So, you know, you want, in some kind of means, you want to be cautionary, but then you also don't want to offend the people who are actually living with it. And it's a very fine line to kind of draw. Right. It- um, you know, because the reality is, is that people are going to be testing positive, especially if you're encouraging them to test, because that's part of the problem is that people aren't getting tested. Right. And so people don't know. And so when they get tested, um, you know, the reality is that your result may not be negative. There you go. Um, <laughs> there you go. You know? And that's a, and that, you know what? And that's a, a real fear. Um, yeah, it's a, it's, and it's reality. Um, and I, you know, I, one of the things we try to do here is to prepare people, you know, to go take the test. Um, and we also have to try to have things in place, and everybody should, um, that if they do test positive, you know, what happens now? You know, we don't want you to just get a slip of paper that says, aha, you're now positive, bye-bye. You know, we're well, and I think people think that's what's going to happen, I, I, is that, yeah. you know, they, they test positive and then they're just shoved out on the street. Yeah. Um, like it's all going to be like Precious, where she tests positive, and then you never know what happens after. Right. That. You know, like right. <laughs> you just you never know. Right. And I think that people really don't know that there is a connect to care. Yeah. One of the things I thought was really profound that was said at the launch in Newark for the campaign was one of the women. I don't remember her name, but she stood up and she said that if you're walking around not knowing your status, thinking that if you test, like thinking that if you test positive it's the end of your life she said actually it's the first day of your life because now you know how to move forward now you have the information that you need to you know if you're negative to continue to use condoms you know safer sex practices things like that and if you're positive now you know to see a doctor get treatment i thought was really profound because i think if people if that was one of the messages that people heard i wonder would it shape their desire to to get tested, and that's and that's something that I think we need. Excuse me, as a community, um, we need a little bit more. Uh, we need those testimonies from people who you know did find out that they're infected, um, and how they are and their families are affected by it. Um, you know, we need some positive people saying, you know, it's not a death sentence. Um, but on the other hand, I want people to remind you know be, to be reminded that. I got to take pills every day. I got to do this every day. I mean, you know, there are things that I cannot do 
um, in order to, uh, you know, live my life to the fullest and help you live your life to the fullest. You know, let's be honest about this and let's have a dialogue about this. Um, uh, but, you know, I'm a good person and, you know, I wake up in the morning with a smile on my face and a song in my heart and, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, life goes on, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. So how have people, um, some of your clients responded to some of the other programs that you've had? So, for example, um, Brother or TG, TGIF Peer Advocate Project, because I know that a lot of times gay youth, they don't have positive um, role models. Uh-huh. Or, you know, just peers that they can, maybe older peers that they can kind of talk to. You know, I feel like sometimes LGBT youth is just kind of thrown out there and told good luck. Mm-hmm. And um, so how have some of the younger people responded to your, your program? Well, uh, you know, with the, um, I think the best, well, let's, let's, we'll talk about the transgender uh, um, program first. Um, the fact that uh, we have Anastasia working with us is, uh, is just such a positive thing. And she's, she's not like the first you know, trans to work for us. And she's certainly not, you know, window dressing, although she does sit at the front desk because she is the prettiest thing here. Um, <laughs> and uh, she's just, uh, you know, her personality um, has helped that program a whole, whole lot. She was very, very shy. Um, and when she, and she used to come here just to do, you know, make condom kits for us. And um, uh, she would march with us in the gay parade and things like that. And, uh, um, she actually applied for a position that I actually hired somebody else for, um, and uh, that that. Oh, Gary, you're telling all her uh, business. <laughs> <laughs> well, but it's all good. I'm so proud of right. her. Right. Listen, she, mm-hmm. Anastasia just came back from. She went to the YMSM and YTG meeting in Atlanta. Okay, that the CDC just had, and she was you know, not to stray, but she this is the first time she's ever flown in her life. Uh, it's first time she's ever, you know, traveled as a trans woman, you know, out of New Jersey. And she just came back, like I said, so empowered. I mean, I, I'm, I just think she was brave enough just to get on the, on the, on the, on the train, I mean, and the plane and travel like she did, you know. She just, her, she's, but she's just a wonderful person, and she's just somebody I would like to mentor better. You know, I wish I could do a better job mentoring her because what she's brought to the program is an honesty. I mean, the girls will sit up here and, you know, and eat their chicken, you know, we feed them lunch and things like that, and just the stuff will just, you know, come out. And she's just so quiet and demure, but she's able to draw them out and, you know, she makes them read out loud and things like that. She's just brought such a dynamic to this agency, it's not even funny. Meeting kids or meeting people where they are, and this is what we've tried to do, Looking at some of the specific concerns that gay men in Newark have, um, you know, Newark is a very interesting city, to say the least. You know, you have a very visible black LGBT population, and there's a lot of activism going on right now, uh, especially the people who we just mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also a staggering crime and poverty rate mm-hmm. kind of at play as well. Oh, so yeah. how does your office address these other things that are at play? Well, um, one of the ways we do, we do it, I mean, if you're talking about housing, um, we try to help those people who are HIV positive, you know, uh, get out of the, you know, shelters and go in someplace like St. Bridget's, which is, you know, uh, houses people living with AIDS. You know, we have connection with Broadway House for continuing care um, and their new little program, uh, Genesis House, which is um, um, built by monies. Uh, 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 guarded from uh, what's his name, um, Bon Jovi. I mean, they put money into Newark and some of these places. Um, we do uh, referrals to you know the local hospitals, 
Um, now we've actually um, um, do testing once a month here. Uh, Newark Community Health Centers approached us and said, hey, you know, we're thinking of, you know, doing some outside stuff. Are you guys interested? And we were like, well, we can see. Um, so the first month we did it, we had one person actually come in and got tested. We just had one on, on this past Monday. We had seven people come in and get tested. So, you know, within a month there's a difference there. Um, we help people try to get jobs. Um, you know, uh, we'll we'll uh, help you if you don't have a resume. You know, we'll we'll make one with you. You know, take you know experiences that you have already. You know, we'll put it in a shape that you know that you can take it to an employer. You know, we'll let you practice on our computers. You know, we'll even have a uh, a mock. Uh, job interview. I've said and done all these, those kind of things with people. You know, it's like you know you, when you walk into an office, pull your pants up. Okay, I know you want to be cute, but another thing we try to do is, uh, you know, you can't shield people from harassment, um, but you have to validate people where they are. You know, I've 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 walked downtown Newark and and I've seen you know transgenders going down the street who I know um, and hear comments. You know, uh, like, you know, that's a grown-ass man. You know, look at him wearing a dress or something like that, you know. And uh, I, I try to say, <laughs> you know, people are people. Leave, you know, leave her alone. Or um, So there's, there's still big, big homophobia. I mean, even though we're more and more open, um, there's still a lot of homophobia around here, and we try to uh, just be as positive. You know, we admit who we are. We're openly gay. We are, you know, openly work in HIV and AIDS. You, I mean, you know, that in itself is, is, can be stigmatizing. Um, you know, my card says African-American Office of Gay Concerns. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of people would be just afraid to even say that out loud, you know. Yeah. Um, but, but you got to. You got to own what you do. Um, mm-hmm. And you can't have any apologies for it. I know when I would pass my card out uh-huh. to men, they would be like HIV, and then they would put it away, and then they wouldn't call me. Uh-huh. So, you know, I mean, I think that I still am very, you know, happy that I have worked in HIV, and I, and I don't care if other people are stigmatized by it, because you have to own it, like you said. So you were saying how back in the day, PSAs and, you know, there would be posters that were very, very more specific, you know, where it would maybe state... If you do not use a condom and you insert your penis in this man's anus and you have gonorrhea, you could still transmit gonorrhea even if you're only in there for a second. Like that specific because we don't even have, we don't have that type of um, education. So let's then forward it to now. Do you think that those very specific and in detail and very kind of, for you know, no pun intended, but those kind of raw um kind of that information is what's lacking yes okay yes now and i'm going to say that because i don't i you remember i i don't believe that fear sells okay but i believe mm-hmm. reality will sell okay and the mm-hmm. reality is if you have certain kinds of sex like anal sex unprotected anal sex that you mm-hmm. can spread or contract hiv and mm-hmm. i am t- Totally, totally sold on the fact that we need to be giving those messages out there. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I, you know, I wish that I could, you know, do a billboard that has two guys up there, you know, butt naked, you know, getting ready to do the do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know that I'm going to get all kinds of trouble if I try to do something like that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can do brochures, maybe. I can mm-hmm. do, uh, I was, yeah. you know, 
com cards or something that addresses that. But we've got to, I believe, and I, and I know like the Hyacinth Foundation and I'm sure NJCRI, I would like to get back to the conversation of unprotected anal sex. I would like to, you know, like we were saying, be real with it. You know, you don't have to scare anybody with it, but, but be real with it. Say, Well, and I think that's the thing, too, is that people are, they look at fear and reality uh, like, they're not always the same thing. Exactly. If you're very implicit. Exactly. Um, I think that if you would tell people, you know, look, you don't have to ejaculate inside someone to give them an STD. I feel like that would just like have light bulbs going off <laughs> in people's heads. I think they don't understand. Um, you know, HIV is 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 not as um, uh. I, I don't think contagious is the best word, but, you know, gonorrhea and chlamydia are much easier to transmit. And, and, yeah. um, and I think that people don't really even understand how any of that works. Yeah. Um, I, you know what? I agree. And I think we need to start talking about cephalus. Um, uh, I mean, you know, and, and not only, you know, can you, can you spread it really easy, um, but it's the fact that it's really, really out there. So even if you're not afraid of HIV, honey, you need to be scared of, you know, chlamydia and, and syphilis because those things are, you know, indigenous to young people anyhow. If we're going to refer to behaviors, certain behaviors, and I think we ought to be honest enough to, like, really be explicit about those behaviors. Um, and, and just to go back to what you said about uh, older men, younger, younger men, um, mm-hmm. I think that's a reality also that people just aren't really, really, really putting out there. Now, in the many, many, many voices uh, um, um, intervention, they do talk about mm-hmm. that. They talk about, you know, who's got the power in a relationship. Is it the older? Is it mm-hmm. the wiser? The, you know, is it the uh, bottom? You know, and people say, oh, no, it's the mm-hmm. top always has the power. No, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if you're a great bottom, honey, you're going to have the power, okay? You ever heard of power <laughs> bottoms? Um but I think with if our audience hasn't, they have right now. <laughs> I apologize if, if if you're just now no, hearing about this. But no, because okay, yeah, because we're keeping it real. Time. Yeah, and, and there's a lot of things that I hear uh, that that kind of make me go, oh. And mm-hmm. I thought I've heard everything, um, but especially mm-hmm. coming out of the transgender community. Um, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> But anyway, let me now. See, now my mind is racing. But um, no, that's okay. but a lot of times uh, there is there will be a case where a, an older man who may or may not know that he's HIV infected will have unprotected sex with a younger person. Now you know uh, statistics will show you that for years young people have been you know giving each other these STDs back and forth for, for mm-hmm. years and years and years without HIV coming into the picture. But then all of a sudden, if you start, you know, when the us older guys, you know, start doing it and doing it wrong and, and having unprotected mm-hmm. sex, all of a sudden we've, we've introduced HIV into that equation, okay, mm-hmm. um, where it wasn't there before. And I think that's what mm-hmm. has happened with social networks. You know, mm-hmm. HIV entered into that, that realm, that culture, mm-hmm. that subculture, and now it's mm-hmm. taken a hold. So, mm-hmm. you know, you know, we need to do what we got to do right now so that it won't continue mm-hmm. and, 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 and infect a whole nother generation. Also, something people aren't talking about is the fact that there are a lot of people who were born with HIV, okay? Mm-hmm. They're coming of age now. Remember, we've been talking about this for, what, 25 years. So right. we've got a lot of young people who uh, were born HIV, unfortunately, and... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and maybe they weren't told the entire truth. I mean, you know, they might be thinking they're taking vitamins. You know, I've met a couple of people. Okay, so 
so. who found out very late in life. Uh-huh. Well, and, and I mean, I won't say very late in life, but definitely at a time where they were being sexually active, uh-huh. where they didn't know okay, so. um, that they were positive. And I want to say they were like 17. You know, I mean, that that is a reality. I'm, I, you know, and that's something that now we're going to have to find a way to help these kids get through what they're, they need to get through. You know what I mean? How can, you know, somebody... Oh, and another thing, it's like, when I hear a young person tell me, which happened in the folk, about the, one of the focus groups, you know, he's 18, 19 years old. He's like, you know, I really don't like con or why he doesn't use condoms. He's like, I really don't like using condoms because I like the feel. I, you know, it just feels better when it's raw. And I'm like looking at this kid and thinking, why do you even know what it's like to feel, you know, raw? I mean, I want to say you shouldn't be able to to feel that. Now, somebody my age would, you know, when all we had to do was worry about it, and I hate to say it this way, but all we had to do was, you know, get a shot if we got STDs or something like that. You know, HIV wasn't wasn't around, and and it wasn't, you know, sex wasn't life-threatening as it can be now. So these kids that are growing up with HIV, it's like, why, why are, you know, what are you learning? Why are you putting yourself at risk when, you know, HIV hasn't been around since you've been around? You know? Because we had eight years of, of abstinence-only education. Uh, you know, there you go. Um, we live in a culture where we are afraid to talk about sex. There you go. Um, okay. You know, and that, that we, people are afraid to talk about it, yet it sells everything. It's everywhere you go, mm-hmm. but yet we're not able, we're so... I don't know what we are, um, but we're so afraid to talk about it because, I mean, HIV and everything that's kind of wrapped up in HIV is, for a lot of people, is uncomfortable. You know, it's not just about condoms. It's about God, religion, fluids, needles, you know, all of these things that we really try to just kind of not think about. And, you know, until there's a cure... And, uh, you know, they've been telling us that one for many, 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 many years. But until there's a cure, there's always going to be a need for, you know, folks like me and young people, you know, peer educators, continuing that message, you know. You know, use a condom. Learn how to use a condom. Use it correctly. Um, I don't care how much sex you're having. I'm not advocating everybody go out and screw everything in the world. But it's mm-hmm. like, because, you know, the more partners you have, of course, the more you put yourself at risk. But, you know, mm-hmm. and just remember that one infection could do you in. I mean, it's all it takes is really one time. So you got to be consistent. You know, use condoms consistently, period. Well, I think that some people think, especially, um, especially among the LGBT community, is that people are policing the type of sex that they, that they want to uh-huh. have. And what they don't realize is, like, even if that's true, there still is a consequence. Yeah. And is that, is that consequence worth right, right. the behavior? Right. And I think that's another one, one thing that we try to do when you talk about me, meeting people where they are. You know, we try to tell everybody that your life is worth saving. You know, you were talking about the Philadelphia thing with the bullseye. I remember way back in the, in the, in the late 80s um, when uh, some writer wrote that, um, I don't know if it was Joseph Bing or um, Essex Hemphill who wrote, you know, Black men loving black men um, is a revolutionary thing, you know. Um, but are we becoming a um, 
an endangered species, and there was a whole big, you know, brouhaha, you know, are you gay and black, are you black and gay, um, you know, what do you mean endangered species, we're not a, we're not a, you know, we're not a group of animals, you know, but, but the bottom line is, you know, if we continue to put ourselves at risk and, and doing these behaviors, we can become an endangered species, and because we really are a species. Um, but, you know, we've got to take control, and we've got to do the right things, and we've just got to be out there just hollering, do the rawr, rawr. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Been hollering for a long time. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you have, but I also think that the issue is that you can holler, but we have to be able to open up people's ears to want to listen yeah. to what you're saying yeah. And, and, yeah. And, can, yeah. and can hear you. And I, and I think slowly... It's happening. I think, unfortunately, it's taken for black women um, to die of AIDS for the community to actually now want to say, OK, this is an issue. For years, gay black men were dying and no one was paying right, attention. Right, right. And I think that that's a shame on our community. But, you know, and now is the time to kind of make amends for that and just start listening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, um, there's no going back. We just got to keep pushing mm-hmm. forward. Right. And so I want to kind of talk to you. This is one of my final questions that I had. There definitely has been a disconnect between the generations um, of, of, of gay black of gay black men, especially in terms of HIV. And we kind of talked about it. Um, one of the theories that's kind of out there as to why there's that disconnect, you know, isn't just because young people feel invincible and, you know, don't think that anything can hurt them. Um, but there's also this theory that one of the reasons that there's such a disconnect with HIV is because they didn't really see and haven't really seen anyone die right. in the kind of ways uh-huh. that people in the 80s and 90s mm-hmm. did. Um, do you find that to be true? Uh, I From do. your experiences? I, I, I mm-hmm. really do. I think that's what, uh, well, you know what, that's what got me involved in doing HIV work many, many years ago because the people that I, you know, uh, were associated with started getting sick and, and started dying. Um, one of the last things I did in, in Los Angeles was, uh, in my previous life, I used to be an actor, um, I did a play called Pumps. And, uh, and even though it was set after HIV had already been, been around for a couple of years, um, a lot of people still didn't know about it. And the, the play dealt with, you know, a community who, of, of guys who went to the gym in West Hollywood and how HIV sort of infiltrated that core group and people started dying. Well, you know, it was a play and it was a comedy and it had a lot of good music, but it was, it was in fact reality because in my own life, you know, people were getting sick and dying. And when I get to, got to New York, you know, it was they were like dying in droves. Um, and, uh, you know, for a long time, I think that we in the gay community, not to mention the black gay community, but we in the gay community thought, oh, my God, it really is just us, you know, and we had to start fighting for our lives. And then, we, you know, we opened our eyes, and it was like, oh, my God, it's, it's, it's everybody. It's a lot of people. Um, and I think it was just too, too slow in getting to, into the African-American community. Um, and, and now I think we are dealing with the consequences. Now, as far as the dis- disconnect with young people, um, I, I think uh, it's, it's mainly due to the fact that our families were so silent for so long. Um, you know, Uncle Joe died of uh, uh, cancer, you know. Oh, my goodness, yes. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. that whole thing. I mean, it, and, and it's still, you know, people are, people would rather die from um, the sugar uh, than HIV. You know, there's still that stigma is still still there. And until we get rid of that, it's still our tough jobs are going to be really, really tough. 
Oh, man. Oh. Yes. This has been a very amazing interview. Is there anything else that you would like to say or provide insight on that I didn't ask about of African-American Office of Gay Concerns? Well, I do want to put it out there that although, you know, we, 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 we try to meet the young people where they are at, I mean, there's some guys in their 40s and their 50s and in their 60s and, dare, say, dare I say, 70s as well. Y'all need to get tested, too. Um, you know, you cannot go around thinking that you are immune. That's That's wrong. It's childish. You know where you've been. You know where you've been, and you know you need to go get tested so we can get you into care and get you into treatment if you test, you know, positive. But I'm hoping everybody's going to be negative. God, I do hope everybody's going to be negative. So I just want to address that community as well and just tell, you know, anybody in that age group, we're still not immune. And we can still, it can still happen. All it takes is one time. So, you know, condoms, use condoms, use condoms, use condoms. The opinions expressed by hosts or interviewees in this podcast do not constitute professional advice, should not be considered substitutes for professional services, and do not necessarily represent the opinions of Body Health Resources Corporation or its sponsors. Please see the full disclaimer online at thebody.com. If you have comments or questions, please contact us. This has been HIV Frontline's U.S. edition from The Body. Be sure to check in frequently at thebody.com for the latest news and information on HIV.